we may be experiencing, even if it feels like the tides of the oceans are rising above our necks, that we have a sure, a sure Savior. Amen? And his name is Jesus. Um, I don't know how your summer has been going, but I have been blessed. Um, uh, you may or may not have known, but my family and I, we went on a 10-day trip to Texas. Uh, we got to be a part of what's called the North American Division Ministerial Convention, which is where pastors, Adventist pastors from all over North America have a chance to get together, inspire one another, encourage one another, and just press on to keep serving God faithfully. And so about 5,000 of us were gathered together in Austin, Texas, and it was a good, good time. Uh, only pastors understand pastors' jokes, and so sometimes it's nice to be around. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, um, after that, that was about a three, four-day convention, after that, we drove an hour down south, I guess, what, southwest from Austin. We landed in a, a town called San Antonio. Anybody ever been there? San Antonio, Texas. And um, we were there in time for the opening ceremonies, the opening weekend of the 60th General Conference session. Um, that's something that is held only once every five years, and we got to sit in on the opening weekend of that where it was estimated somewhere between 60 and 70,000 Seventh-day Adventists all convened in one locale. Over 168 different countries represented in one place. And uh, you kind of, you know, you talk about, okay, the everlasting gospel going to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. But then when you're in the midst of that, it's a completely different experience. You know, I'm trying to strike up conversation with people in the hotel and they can't even understand me. And, and it's at that point I began to question my own heart. I'm like, man, what is it that even brings us together? You know, maybe a smile and a nod, but really what it is, it's the mission to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. Amen. And it's this message of the three angels, this prophetic mission that God has given to us that really unites us. And that's what brings us into one place once every five years to understand how can we more effectively preach the three angels' messages so that Jesus can come soon. That's what binds us together, and it's a beautiful thing. Actually, right now is the closing Sabbath of that ceremony. So somewhere over there in San Antonio, Texas, <laughs> there are 70,000 Seventh-day Adventists all seeking to save the lost. Amen. And uh, here we are, part of that global movement. It's a privilege. It's a privilege and a blessing. And so I want us to keep praying for our church because there's much work to be done. It's awesome to hear how God is moving in all the different parts of the world. You know, each night, each morning, there's a, a report given from one of the 13 world divisions of, of the work of God that is going on. How many of you, by the way, have been able to see any of those broadcasts online or, or through satellite? Yeah, awesome, awesome. So maybe you've been able to catch up on some of the things that are taking place, but man, God is on the move. God is on the move, and he is also on the move in our own lives. And today, it's a privilege to be able to study together. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to be gathered with Teen Bible Academy. This is a program that uh, is very near and dear to my heart. Um, what, 2003, I think, was the very first Teen Bible Academy. Were you guys even born then? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> 2003, and uh, yeah, Debbie and I actually had the privilege of being part of that leadership team. And it's, it's been neat to see it grow from one group that uh, maybe had, I think we had 16 that, something like that. Uh, anyways, 16 or 18 kids that year, and now I think, am I right, there are five simultaneous groups right now, over close to 90 students, um, praise the Lord, and that happens every summer, and this is sponsored by a Central California Conference Youth Department, so praise God for that. Um, 
Today, we're going to get into a study called Dealing with Difficult Decisions. Dealing with Difficult Decisions. It's kind of carryover from last month. We had a Dealing with Difficult fill-in-the-blank um, last month, and this is just kind of to close this out. Dealing with Difficult Decisions. Before we get to that, I just want to pray together. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we're opening up the Word of God, we realize that this is a privilege that we cannot take for granted. The fact that God actually speaks, and He speaks to me, He speaks to us. God, we want to be a people who listen. And so we pray, God, that as we open up these pages of Scripture, that it would be more than just ink on paper, but that you would cause it to be the living word that is more powerful than a two-edged sword that cuts to the thoughts and intents of the heart today. Lord, I pray that we would find something that is profitable for instruction and training in righteousness that would equip us for every good work. God, we also pray that, uh, that this blessing would not just be ours here in this congregation, but also your world church all across the globe. And so, Lord, as we turn to you, we're praying that you would do as you have done in the past, the same Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures. Would you please bless us with your spirit to be instructed in these scriptures? This is our heart's desire. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. 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 Open your Bible with me and go to a passage in 2 Peter. It's close to the end. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is just going to be kind of a, a launching pad. A, a, it'll set the tone, set the frame of reference for what we're talking about today. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19. When you've found it, go ahead and say, I've found it. If you still need some help, nudge a neighbor next to you, and uh, they'd be happy to help you out. 2 Peter is written by, guess who? Peter, all right? He was one of the 12 disciples who walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years. He's starting churches after the resurrection. He's helping believers come to know that Jesus is the Christ who came once and is coming again. And Peter now, as he's writing this letter, he's writing to believers who are struggling to keep pressing on in their faith. Is this a struggle that any of us are, are familiar with or resonate with? Yeah? And in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's reminding them of things that they have known before, but he's just kind of stirring it up again in their memory. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, actually we'll just focus in on verse 19 itself. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And Peter is wanting to give them something sure and steadfast, and so in verse 19... He says, and so we have the, what are the next two words you see? The prophetic word confirmed. He says, we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's certain, it's sure, it's solid. So we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. According to this verse, he's saying we have something. What is that something that we have? What is it? The prophetic word. The prophetic revelation of God, his character, his will. We have the prophetic word, and it is wishy-washy. It is, oh, maybe it's culturally relative. No, no, no. It is confirmed. It's confirmed. 
okay? It's sure, it's steadfast, and he says that we would do well to do something with it. What would we do well to do? To heed, okay, maybe your Bible says to pay attention to, and he compares it to paying attention to a light that shines in a dark place. Today we're talking about dealing with difficult decisions. Maybe you've been confronted with a scenario, a situation, where you are not quite sure what to do. And in those moments, you feel like you're a little bit in the dark. Anybody been there? You feel like you're in the dark. You're not quite sure which way to turn, which way to go, where the next step is supposed to be. You're kind of feeling it out. Peter says that we have the prophetic word, and it's like a light that shines even in those kinds of dark places. I tell you what, uh, this is something that we, we experience every single day, decision-making. We're constantly making decisions. Some decisions are of huge importance. It changes the direction of our life. Some decisions are, are just, it seems like minuscule things that we make every day, but really the sum of those things actually does shape our lives. So decisions, when we're making decisions, I, I submit that we need to make decisions more than just based off of a gut feeling, right? It's got to be more than just like, well, this is what I feel like today. Why? Because feelings come and go. But God has given us something even more sure. And this is what we would call the prophetic word. He has given this to us as a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. Have you heard that verse before? Thy word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto... Am I mixing that up? A lamp? Thank you. Thank you know it. You know it. We sing about it. Okay. <laughs> I've been in Texas all week. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um... Y'all, <laughs> that's right. I did hear that a few times, actually. <laughs> and so, here we are. God actually wants to give us something more sure than just, okay, this is what I feel like. This is my whim today. This is my whim tomorrow. He wants, in our decision-making, for us to be guided by a sure compass, like the compass of his word. And today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to do a little bit of a biography study of a certain king who actually plays this out, who, who understood that the decisions he made, yes, it affected the whole nation, but even more than that, the decisions he made, he wanted it to be founded on the sure word of prophecy, okay? And this king's name, his name is Jehoshaphat. Can you say that ten times fast? Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Don't try. That's okay. Your, your neighbor might get sprinkled because of that. All right. So we're going to find his story actually in the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament. Go ahead and find it with me. We're going to go to Second Chronicles. Really, the passage that we want to zero in on is Second Chronicles chapter 20. But we're going to catch up a few chapters earlier than that and start in Second Chronicles chapter 17. So Second Chronicles, as was mentioned before, it comes right before the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles. And we're going to go ahead and start at the beginning of King Jehoshaphat's story. It starts uh, in chapter 17. When you found Second Chronicles 17, go ahead and say amen. 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 Awesome, awesome. So there we are, Second Chronicles chapter 17. King Jehoshaphat, he is 35 years old. And at 35 years old, he's entrusted with ruling a nation. Okay? He... Um, He's the son of King Asa, and he actually is king in the southern kingdom of Judah, 
By this time, the nation of Israel has actually been divided into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel up in the north is made of the, the ten northern tribes, and then the kingdom of the south, kingdom of Judah, there um, in the southern part of the town, or uh, southern part of the nation. And Jehoshaphat, it says in verse 1, that Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. Apparently there was some infighting there. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, set garrisons in the land of Judah, and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Okay, so he's doing what any good king should do. Just make sure that the physical security of his nation is, is in place. But there is something else that drives Jehoshaphat. It's not just physical protection that he is concerned about. Notice in verse 3, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Because he walked in the former ways of his father David, he did not seek the Baals. That was a, a, a name given to the idols of the, the surrounding nations. Verse 4, But he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Do you understand here that Jehoshaphat is not just concerned about his physical territory? He's actually concerned about the spiritual well-being of his people. This is what I would say is quality leadership. It's leadership that is concerned about the heart. It's leadership that's concerned about the character. And Jehoshaphat has this in mind. In fact, he is not just concerned about his own character. He is concerned that his people, he is concerned that his people would also embrace the law and word of God. Notice, all the way down to verse, starting in verse 9. No, no, sorry, we'll start in verse 7. It says, Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And I'm wondering if I should try to keep reading out loud. <laughs> verse 8, And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebadiah, Ashel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tabijah, Tabadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama, Jehoram, the priests. Try saying that ten times fast. <laughs> no, but notice what he's trying to do. Okay, earlier we saw him trying to set up the garrisons, make sure the fortified cities are in place, but what he's doing is he's planting teachers of the law all throughout his kingdom. Notice, verse 9, So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and did what? Taught the people. This is awesome. This is awesome. This king is not just worried about his own walk with God. Yes, that is his priority, but he wants to ensure that his people have a living relationship with God too. And it starts not just by encouraging, all right, everybody, Hope you get into the book of the law. Hope you get into the word. No, he actually makes practical provision to ensure that they're educated in it, that they're taught how to study, how to read, how to understand the will of God for themselves through the word of God. It's powerful. It's powerful. And this spiritual revival actually has practical results because by the time you read the next verse, notice what happens. It says, And the fear of the Lord fell on who? The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms surrounding. The spiritual revival that was taking place in their own hearts actually had an impact on the way kingdoms around them interacted with them. It inspired a sense of awe and respect and saying, all right, we're not going to touch these guys. 
It says, And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Now this is powerful. This is, so this is just kind of a, a beginning sketch of who King Jehoshaphat is. Are you still with me? Are we still okay? Yeah? So King Jehoshaphat, he's a spiritual leader. And he's a spiritual leader who finds a spiritual compass in the revealed word of God. We follow that today, yes or no? Yeah? For King Jehoshaphat, he believes that God speaks and he is a king who is going to listen to him. If God really speaks, if we truly believe that God speaks, then we're going to be a people who listen to that kind of God. And so by the time we come to chapter 18, this very successful king, he actually forms a partnership with the king up north. Okay? He forms a partnership that is somewhat questionable. He forms an alliance with King Ahab. Does anybody remember that name? King Ahab. He was married to uh, another infamous individual, Jezebel. All right? And they were basically sponsoring and promoting the worship of Baal all throughout the nation of Israel. This, this is an unfortunate alliance. I don't know if Jehoshaphat has some evangelistic intent here. Maybe he's wanting to, hey, you know, bring him to the other side, that kind of thing. But whatever the motivation of this alliance, it kind of gets Jehoshaphat into some trouble. As they're conversing and talking in chapter 18, if you follow the story, King Ahab, he realizes, hey, um, I need some help fighting against the Syrians over here. There's a city that they overtook, and I want to take it back. So he turns to his buddy, his new buddy Jehoshaphat, and says, Jehoshaphat, will you please help me? And Jehoshaphat says, hey, I'm your brother. I'm with you. So as Jehoshaphat and King Ahab form this partnership, they're about to get ready, and Jehoshaphat stops for a moment, and he, the better part of him kind of catches up and says, you know what, we should inquire of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> we should ask God what he wants us to do here. So in chapter 18, he asks and says, is there a prophet of the Lord? Actually, if you turn in chapter 18, it says in verse 4, it says in verse 4, it says, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. All right, so they apparently, according to these quote-unquote prophets, they're given the green light. But how does Jehoshaphat respond to this? Verse 6, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of who? Of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? It's very interesting. Jehoshaphat is realizing, hey, I know you guys have prophets around here. Those 450 prophets of Baal that died on top of Mount Carmel. You remember that story? Yeah? But there are also 400 other prophets who Jezebel fed at her own table. And apparently this is that, that group. And Jehoshaphat is saying, wait, 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 wait. We want to talk to the prophet of the Lord. <laughs> Let's inquire of him. So Ahab, he kind of wrinkles his nose. Yeah, there's this one guy, but he always speaks badly of me. So I never want to listen. <laughs> Here's the thing. King Ahab knows that God speaks. And we can believe that God speaks, but at times we can actually say, I'd rather not listen. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, says, no, let's hear him. Let's hear him. So they bring him out, and this prophet Micaiah, he comes out and says, wait a minute. I've seen that if you go out in this battle, you guys are going to be scattered. King Ahab, you're going to die. You're going to regret this. 
That word from the prophet is true. And as those two kings say, well, let's go ahead anyway, they actually fulfill that prophecy. It's powerful, and it's also very pointed. It's kind of saddening that Jehoshaphat would actually take, take audience to this and listen to this. But the point is still this, that Jehoshaphat is still discerning. He wants to hear the word of the Lord, even if, even if he didn't necessarily follow through with it, we still can take a positive out of this, that Jehoshaphat wanted to listen. That Jehoshaphat wanted to what? He wanted to listen. And here's the thing. Jehoshaphat is someone, when it comes to decisions he is making, he is one who wants to seek the will and word of God. And this is critical for you and I when we're coming to decisions, whether they're difficult decisions or they're just routine decisions. The ultimate question is, what is the will of God? And as Jehoshaphat is seeking what the will of God is, where does he turn? In chapter 17, he's turning to the will of God as it has been written in the past. And now in chapter 18, he's turning to the will of God as it is revealed in the present. He's listening for the prophets who have written in the past, and he's listening for prophets who speak today. Do you see that? Yes or no? He believes that God speaks, and so he is going to listen. Whether or not he follows through, unfortunately in chapter 18, he didn't follow through. And uh, by, the, by the time he, f- he comes into battle, he cries out to God because the people are about to kill him. They think he's the king of Israel. He says, oh no, I'm not him. And so they all turn around, they, they go look for King Ahab, but God miraculously delivers Jehoshaphat. When he gets home, he's rebuked. When he gets home, he realizes, okay, the prophetic word is true, and maybe next time I'll actually follow through. So here's what we find in Jehoshaphat. His disobedience actually helps him realize or reinforce the need both to hear and to heed the prophetic word of God. In chapter 19, Sorry, we're, we're just kind of, this is like a, a slow buildup to our chapter 20, okay? So here's Jehoshaphat. His trend is to, to seek the will of God, and he seeks it in what, what God has written in the past and what God is revealing in the present. And that is what guides his decision-making. And in chapter 19, there is a prophet who actually speaks directly to him. The prophet's name is Jehu, and it says in verse 2, chapter 19, verse 2, if you're there, say amen. amen. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to do what? To seek God. So here in chapter 19, what happens is a prophet speaks to Jehoshaphat. God has not closed the line of communication. God is still speaking through his prophets to Jehoshaphat, even if he didn't listen in the past. Now he's given a second chance to listen. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice just to have a prophet living in your neighborhood that says, hey, this is the word of the Lord to you. Boom. (laughs) Well, maybe we have it. Maybe we have it already. And this time Jehoshaphat, he's listening And it says in verse 4, So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem. So he goes back to his capital, where he should be. 
And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim. Now he's doing a personal tour around his kingdom. And it says, he brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. He's initiating a revival and reformation among his people. And he's bringing them back to the prophetic word of God. So this is the theme, the trend. Jehoshaphat is now positively responding to the prophetic counsel this time. The theme and trend that we are to pick up is that Jehoshaphat's ear is open to the prophetic word as it has been written in the past and as it is revealed in the present. His, his ear is open to the prophetic word as it's written in the past and as it's revealed in the present. And this is what guides Jehoshaphat's decision-making. Now in chapter 20, this is where the story gets thick with drama, okay? In chapter 20, he is faced with a great difficulty. I'm reading now from chapter 20, verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, It happened after this, that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember what we read in chapter 17? That when he was promoting the word of God, the fear of the Lord actually rested upon all the kingdoms. Now what's happening? What's happening? He's having to kind of reap the consequences of his, uh, his deviation from that commitment. And so Moab, Ammon, and the, the others with them, I think uh, citizens of the Mount of Seir, they, they all kind of form this threefold alliance against the kingdom of Judah. And in verse 2 it says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. And notice what he does, verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? Did you catch it? Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to Seek the Lord. Friends, if you're wanting a simple recipe of how to deal with difficult decisions, Amen. seek the Lord. <laughs> seek the Lord. What's interesting, it says, uh, set himself, set himself, kind of like turned his face, kind of set his trajectory, set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast all throughout Judah. So not just for himself, but he's wanting to do this all together. There's strength in numbers. All throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This is powerful. So it's not just one man seeking the Lord. This is the whole nation wanting to seek the Lord. What's very interesting about that word in verse 3 where it says, set himself to seek the Lord. The, the Hebrew idea, actually, it talks about kind of treading a path. Like frequenting a, a direction so that, that you're actually blazing a new path. So he's resorting to, he's frequenting, he's giving himself to constantly go in the direction of God. This is a sharp contrast to maybe his deviation in the past. So he's setting himself to seek the Lord. This is really interesting because this king, I mean, he, he, he had good diplomatic relationships prior to this. He could have simply reached out to other kingdoms around and said, hey, Israel, why don't you come on down and help you know, I tried helping you before, so why don't you come down and help me? Egypt, hey, please, you know, we've had some good trading in the past. Please, please help me out here. No. But what he does is he sets himself to seek the Lord. 
What decisions are you facing? Difficult, significant, minuscule. When you're in the midst of that decision-making, where do you turn to? Where do I turn to? Do I turn to what is convenient? Do I turn to what others would be pleased with? Or do I set myself to seek the Lord? What does he want? What does he want? Not, not what, is, what do I want. No, what, is, what does he want? And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He sets himself to seek the Lord. And as they do this, as they do this, it seems as though the entire nation of Judah comes together in that capital city. 65,000 representing, you know, all, whatever. They're, they're, all, they're all there. He proclaims this fast, and in verse 5 it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, and the house of the Lord before the new court. And just kind of picture this. This is a group gathering. They are all humbled, realizing that they are in deep need. And notice just the very simple PowerPoints of, of Jehoshaphat's prayer. And Jehoshaphat said, this is verse 6, Oh Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Is that what he says? No. Notice how he prays. This is awesome. Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand? Is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? When Jehoshaphat is pressed to pray, do you know what he pray, prays for first? He praises. When Jehoshaphat is under heat, when he is trembling in his boots, the very first thing that he does is he praises God. When you are trying to make difficult decisions, let me recommend to follow this outline of prayer. Start with praise. Why? Why? Is this kind of like a psychological trip to kind of forget or ignore your problems? No. But as we praise and reflect on who God is, it actually shapes the way we view our situation. It turns that mountain into a molehill. <laughs> we begin to realize that God is much bigger than my difficulty. And if we start with praise, it changes the way we pray. Do you follow that today, yes or no? What's your, what's your mountain? Praise God first and watch that mountain shrink before the presence of the Lord. It's powerful. So he praises. He praises God. And in verse 7, he continues, Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? So now he's actually recounting what God has done in the past. He's saying, God, you did this. You did that. You were faithful here. You were faithful here. So what he is doing is he's, he's looking at the promises of God that have already been fulfilled. And in verse 8, he continues, and they dwell in it and have, have built you a sanctuary in it and have built, excuse me, have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He's saying, hey, God, this is what you promised us. This is what you promised us in the past. This is how you've been faithful in the past. And what are the very next words in verse 10? And now. He's taking this praise perspective. He's taking this past faithfulness perspective. And he's importing it. And now. And now. Essentially what he's doing is he's leaning on 
God's promises today because of God's faithfulness yesterday. We can lean a God, upon God's promises today because of his faithfulness yesterday. And when we pray, we start with praise, we reflect on his faithfulness in the past, and we import that into our difficult situation now. <laughs> and now, verse 10, and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. He's getting specific. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of, our, out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are where? <sighs> I love it. Our eyes are upon you. God, we have no clue. <laughs> but we're looking to you. We have no clue, but we're looking to you. There's an expectation that comes from knowing that God has worked in the past. There's an expectation that comes that's not presumptuous because Jehoshaphat has been faithful to co comply with the conditions of those promises. He, they've been repentant. They've been humble. They've been confessing to God. They've been seeking him in prayer. And now he says, won't you prove faithful today? This is a humble expectation, not because of what we have, but because of who God is. God, we have no clue, but our eyes are upon you. I love the fact that he could actually say that and, and be real. Our eyes are actually upon you. They weren't looking to other men. They weren't looking to themselves. They were looking to Jesus. When you have difficult decisions, where are your eyes? Where are my eyes? Maybe I'm thinking about what this is going to do for my, uh, my resume <laughs> or what this is going to do for my relationships with other people. No, no, no. My eyes, when I'm making decisions like this, my eyes need to be on God. What is his will? And this has been the habit of Jehoshaphat all along. He's looked to the word of what has been written in the past and he's looked to the word of what is being revealed through the present prophets. And his eyes are on God. And how does God respond to all of this? In verse 13, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Can you picture that? Just this grand assembly waiting humbly. Why is it that it's not just Jehoshaphat that's, that's asking God? Why is it that the whole people, you actually see corporate prayer here. Why? Because they've been educated by Jehoshaphat. They've been educated by the Levites and the priests and all those throughout the kingdom that he stationed. They've been educated to pay attention to the word of God, and so now they're expecting God's word to be revealed in the present. And in verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, probably one of those Levites who was sent to go educate the people about the law of God. So this guy, Jehaziel, he's in the midst of the assembly. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And in verse 15, it says, he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says who? Oh, when you're in the midst of decisions, what you're looking for is a thus says the Lord. That's what we need. 
When we know that this is God's word, ah, oh, then we can walk in boldness. Even if it's against the grain of what other people think or what other people want. When we're making decisions, what we need is a thus saith the Lord. Amen. So here it is, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Wow, does this sound familiar at all? We'll talk about it. Okay, verse 16. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. So there's this assurance. Hey, guys, this battle is God's. This belongs to God. Don't you even worry about it. And then he gives them some specific instruction. You guys go here. And you're just going to watch. And in verse 17, it says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Have you heard that before? Has Israel heard that before? At some point in their history? Just stand still and see the salvation of God. What, what story comes to mind when you hear those words? The Red Sea crossing. The Red Sea crossing. When the children of Israel were released from Egypt, they were walking now into the promised land, but then they ran into the Red Sea. They heard the hoofs of Pharaoh's army chasing right after them. And God's word through Moses was, Do not fear. Stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. The battle is not yours. It is God's. This is an allusion to the Red Sea crossing. See, the word that reveals God's dealing in the past is the word that is relevant today. Do you understand what's going on here? You wonder, what, what was going on in Jehaziel's mind? You know, back in verse 13, when all of Judah, they're just standing before God. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What was going on in the people's mind? What was going on in Jehaziel's mind? I imagine that as he's praying and seeking God, I imagine that he is mentally searching for some promise of the word. You know, I'm a teacher of the law. I've taught people to trust in God's word. What are some promises here? And I imagine that God brings to mind the story of a Red Sea crossing when they're stuck and God says, hey, this is my battle. And I imagine that as Jehaziel is mentally searching through the word for some promise or instruction that's relevant to their situation, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And this is exactly what was so ingrained in Jehoshaphat and his people that when you're stuck or even when you're not stuck, go to the word. Go to the word. That it's through the word that the prophetic word is like a light that shines in a dark place. Whether it's through the written word of the past or the revealed word in the present. And that's exactly what happens. And as Jehaziel says, oh, yes, this is it. God's spirit inspires him to speak very specifically. Not just to recall what was past, but to give a present tense prophetic word. This is very powerful. The word that was relevant in the past is relevant today. And we can stand on this word. And so what happens? Do the people say, oh, this prophet doesn't know what he's talking about? <laughs> Do the people say, oh, forget that. We've got bigger fish to fry here. <laughs> Come on. No, no, no. They pay attention 
to the prophetic revelation of the present because they know it's based upon the prophetic revelation of the past. Okay, this is very significant. We'll, we'll put all the pieces together here in just a moment. And in verse 18, it says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. When the prophetic word is revealed, they're in awe. God still speaks, and I still listen. That's what's happening here. Again, you know, just imagining, man, if we had a prophet in our neighborhood, wouldn't that be awesome? God still speaks. Question is, do we still listen? And in verse 19, it says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They were excited. You can imagine their excitement. Hey, we, they, they shifted from we have no idea what to do to this is what God is going to do. Okay? And now they're fully confident. And in verse 20, it says that they arose early in the morning. They didn't wait. They, they're like, okay, let's get it. Let's get it on. They were eager to follow through with the word of God. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be, what does your Bible say there? Established. Firm footing. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Notice the very next breath. The very next phrase out of his mouth. Believe his what? Prophets and you shall, yours says succeed, mine says prosper. The Hebrew word literally has this idea of breaking out. Oh man, you're just going like, to come out of the gates running. How? As we believe in the Lord as we believe his prophets. Friends, do you realize that the prophetic word is confirmed? Do you realize that this prophetic revelation of God's will is sure and steadfast, more sure and steadfast than however you or I may feel, think, or see at the time? The prophetic word is confirmed, and Jehoshaphat is charging them believe his prophets. Maybe there were some who weren't quite sure. Hey, your prophet can say whatever he wants to say. How do we know what's going to happen? And Jehoshaphat is saying, hey, believe that. Trust that. Why? Because it's based upon God's prophetic revelation in the past. We can believe his prophets. He could make this appeal. Jehoshaphat could make this appeal because he himself had already trusted the prophets. He himself had the habit of listening for the prophets. He himself already had the habit of hearing the prophets, and even though he had some time to grow in heeding the prophets, that was what he grew to do. He developed the habit of testing the prophets and listening to the prophets. This prophetic revelation was a light in a dark place for Jehoshaphat, and he wanted his people to know this is a light in our dark place right now. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And in verse 21, how did the people respond? It says, when he had consulted with the people, so they talked it over. All right, is this what we're going to do or what? Are we going to follow through with the word of the prophet or not? Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord 
and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Can you imagine drawing up a battle plan like this with the, the U.S. Army? Hey, we're going to send the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir out first. <laughs> Do you see what's going on? He's saying, look, the battle isn't ours. We're just supposed to position ourselves and watch God's salvation. So why don't we send out people who are going to praise God for his salvation? They send them out before the rangers. They send them out before the seals. They send out the choir to praise God because his mercy endures forever. Truly, they believe his prophets. This is powerful. And so the end of the story, I mean, you, you read the rest of the chapter, that's, that's exactly what happens. God actually fights for them. The three allied powers that were arrayed against Judah, they actually end up fighting against themselves, killing themselves. And that army that was behind the choir, they didn't need to fight. They didn't need to take up any arms. They, all they needed to do was take three days to take all the plunder back home. <laughs> God did it. It was his battle all along. They just needed to believe as prophets. When we're making decisions about what to do next, where our next step is going to be, do we listen to the prophetic revelation of the past? And maybe I would even ask, do we listen to the prophetic revelation of today? This is a very interesting thing. What, what, what are the practical takeaways here? Simply this, that if we serve a God who speaks, we should be a people who listen. Let me ask it in two simple questions. Do you believe that God actually speaks? Yeah. And if you do, will you be a people who listens? Yeah. Here's the thing. God is not just someone who spoke long, long ago in Genesis chapter 1. Yes, he did, and he does. And if God truly speaks, why would we leave his letter on the shelf to collect dust? If God is speaking to you, to me, why? Why would we not listen? Can you imagine? Maybe some of you were in the habit of writing love notes to your significant other. <laughs> Can you imagine sending your notes through the mail and then coming to find out that your loved one never even opened them up to hear what kind of love you had for them? And here God is, who reveals his heart, his will, his plan for us. And should there be a people who are deaf to that? I pray not. That if God truly speaks, we would be a people who listen. Whether or not we're making difficult decisions, whether or not we're in the moment of crisis, whether we're in the calm or in crisis, if we develop the habit of listening to God's word in the calm, Oh, friends, it'll be natural to listen to God's word in the crisis. And so here's a practical takeaway number one. If you don't already have a daily reading plan, make one. <laughs> make a plan to read the Bible for yourself. This prophetic word is God's letter to you and I. And if God is speaking, why aren't we listening? Oh, I just don't have time. Friends, <laughs> if God is speaking, make time. I just don't have a need. Friends, if God is speaking, lay aside your pride. I just don't really have a desire, to be honest. If God is speaking, lay aside anything that's going to sap your spiritual hunger from the Word of God. So that's practical takeaway number one. God has revealed His will in the past. 
why not read it? <laughs> Make a daily plan. Make a daily plan. If you need help finding a daily plan, I'd be happy to help you. There, there are awesome uh, internet sites like Bible.com and BibleGateway.com that have just daily reading plans. There are even apps on your iPhone or whatever, you know. There are ways to make a daily reading plan. When we develop the habit of going to the Word of God in the calm, we will have that habit in the crisis too. That's practical takeaway number one. Practical takeaway number two. That if God, like for Jehoshaphat, I mean, he, he valued the written Word of God, but he also valued the present tense revelation of God's Word. He valued the prophets who were in his midst. And I believe that as a Seventh-day Adventist movement, we have the privilege and the possession of the prophetic ministry of Ellen White in our midst as well. I don't think this is something to be apologetic about. Maybe you're not familiar with her ministry, and that's okay. I would simply say, get familiar. One of the characteristics of the remnant church in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, is that they keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. According to chapter 19, verse 10 of the same book, Revelation 19, verse 10, it says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That the remnant of God's people at the very end of time would be completely loyal to God through the law, and they would be guided by his word. Prophetic revelation of the past and of the present. And so I would simply say, practical takeaway number one, get a daily Bible reading plan if you don't have one. Prophetic, excuse me, uh, practical takeaway number two, avail yourself of the prophetic ministry of Ellen White. Amen. You know, uh, several decades ago, 1980s or so, there was research that was conducted regarding Adventist membership. The, the research was actually uh, focused on church growth and what makes churches grow, and they were finding that different quality characteristics of, of people's spirituality um, uh, made a difference in church growth. And, and they actually saw a correlation between those who were habitual readers of Ellen, Wright's, Ellen White's writings and those who were not habitual readers of Ellen White's writings. This is very interesting. Uh, this was conducted several years ago. And they found that those who considered themselves readers of Ellen White's writings uh, actually had a better spiritual life. They actually had greater assurance of their own salvation. They actually read the Bible daily for themselves, more commonly, and they actually knew what their spiritual gifts were. And these were things that were, were very evident. It was a, a drastic distinction. So, for example, the statistics were, for example, 82% um, of those who considered themselves readers of Ellen White's writings, 82% of them had a daily habit of reading the Bible. Praise the Lord, right? Because Ellen White's writings are never to take the place of the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Always to point us back to the Bible. All right? It's a lesser light pointing to the greater light. In fact, she said of her own writings, hey, if people studied the Bible as they should, there would be no need for my writings. Okay? They found that 82% of uh, Spirit of Prophecy readers actually have the habit of daily Bible reading. However, on the other side of the spectrum, 47% of non-readers of Ellen White actually had a daily habit of reading the Bible. Do you see the, the contrast there? Yeah. So in other words, the, the, the ministry of Ellen White, her writings actually encourages greater spiritual growth. Sadly, a few years ago, the Adventist Church did a broader uh, research project, 
And they found that, yes, fortunately, there is a strong conviction that Ellen White's ministry is valid, that her prophetic ministry is valid. However, very small numbers when it came to revealing how much people actually read. And so while there's a strong conviction that they're, yeah, you know, she's, she's a true prophet, there is actually little follow-through to say, yes, I actually read her stuff. That, that research was conducted only in the last two years. And so here's simply this. We cannot leave those letters unopened. Can you imagine if Jehoshaphat, when Jehaziel stands up and says, hey, this is the word of the Lord to you. No, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm not listening. Can you imagine what that would have led the army? You know, the choir would not have gone out. Maybe the army would. And instead of finding plunder to take, they are the plunder themselves. Do you see what's happening? If he's not willing to listen to the prophetic revelation of today, he ends up falling, and his nation. And I wonder if the same could be said of us. Jehoshaphat's charge to believe his prophets is actually a challenge to us today. You may not know, but on July 16, 1915, Ellen White actually passed away. That was 100 years ago, this coming Thursday. And so that that ministry is still available to us today. These are letters that are left unopened. I'm I'm simply appealing. Believe his prophets. Maybe you're just kind of still investigating, questioning. By all means, investigate, but don't just leave it unopened. Test all things. Hold on to that which is good. And at the same time, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. God is speaking. Are we listening? Amen. So maybe you're wondering, how, I don't even have any of her writings. There's an app for that too. <laughs> All right. I have some books for you if you'd like. If you're wondering what to read, let me just give you these simple recommendations. One of my favorite books, Steps to Christ. Amen. Steps to, you wonder, how can I have a relationship with Jesus? In, in 13 simple chapters, <laughs> Steps to Christ. Beautiful book. Another one, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. You've heard Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, where Jesus is doing the uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and all that stuff. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings just takes those line by line with a few paragraphs to just give some insight and commentary. Beautiful devotional reading. Another one, Christ's Object Lessons. Taking the parables of Jesus and really just helping us to understand the inner workings of what he was really trying to communicate. Anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but simply the charge is this. If God speaks, then let us listen. If God has spoken through prophets in the past, make a plan to read and engage these prophets. If God is speaking through prophets today, make a plan to avail yourself of that ministry. Believe in the Lord and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, today... We desire to be a people who can sing that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. (laughs) We desire to be a people who do not fear or are not dismayed because we've heard the prophetic word that it's sure and steadfast. God, we feel so privileged to hold in our hands the prophetic revelation of your word. And Lord, what a humbling reality that you are still speaking today.
God, I pray that we would be a people who listen today. And so, whatever our practical next step is, whether it's to make a daily Bible reading plan, or to, to do our part to actually uh, avail ourselves of the writings of, of Ellen White's prophetic ministry, Lord, I pray that you would convict each and every one of us to, to be a, peop- a person who listens to the God who speaks. So, Father, we thank you that today we can believe in you and be established. And today we want to accept that appeal to believe as prophets and thus prosper. Lord, we pray for ourselves in this regard. We pray for our our world church in this regard as well. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Amen.